tell you what, since, uh, since that was so good, and the Illini play at 12.10, I am tempted to just go ahead and call that the sermon and call it good. But since most of you are Ohio State fans and are in no hurry to go home and watch any games, too soon? Too soon? Hey, hey, I, I want to give a shout out today. My friend Jeremy back here, he is a devout Michigan fan, and he came in this morning wearing Ohio State colors that read, out of a show of solidarity, and I'm wearing a red shirt today out of a show of comfort, saying we are in this together as a church. We will endure. We will get through it. <laughs> speaking of that, speaking of enduring, here's our financial f- update from February. So uh, we've been doing this once a month just to help you know where we need to be at. Uh, our must-have budget is 61.7. Our target goal is 78. Uh, 70,833. Our actual giving has been right, right there, uh, 58,896. Been right around there last several months. So, you know, we're, we're, we're getting there, guys. And I really appreciate like, the stability that we've seen in our giving. Uh, and as we talked last week, if you didn't get a chance to see the sermon last week, please go back and watch the end of it where I talk about some of the ways that God has provided for us in just only God can kind of ways in order to help get us there. Um, so, As we dive into the message this week, last week we started talking about living life open-handed. This idea is that God didn't create a world of scarcity, meaning we don't have to hang on to everything. That's what we do if we live in a world of scarcity, but He's created a world of abundance. And if we have a world of abundance, we can trust that what we have, God will continue to provide for us so we don't have to hang on to it, right? We can be radically generous because we have a God who is even more generous, Uh, And and so, uh, as we go through this series called Open Handed, I do want to give you a chance as well to ask some questions. And so, we have something uh, called The Hub, and if you go to ecc.life, you can go there on your web browser and uh, just below, just ask a question about giving, about stewardship, about money in any way. If you want to ask me that question, you can do that all week long. You can do it right now while I'm preaching if you want, uh, and I will try to answer those questions next week. Scott will uh, interview me, and we'll do that to start the sermon off. Here's a little bit of review of last week. Last week we talked about God's instrument to help us to, to, to help us to become more generous. God's instrument to help us to understand that all things come from Him. One of them is called tithing. What is tithing? Tithing means giving our first ten percent to God. It's something that isn't just in the Old Testament law, it's something that Jesus affirms, but it's actually a pre-law concept, meaning we see it in Genesis 4 uh, and in Genesis 14, that idea of giving your first, giving your tenth, it's just a good part of who we are and how we can recognize that everything we have belongs to God. Tithing is a floor, not a ceiling, meaning we start there, but we can just keep on being more and more generous and impacting more and more lives as we go through our life if we choose to do so. And finally, tithing primes the pump of God's blessings. We talked about that pump, that if, if, if you pump and you pump and you pump on a well, and a well's got plenty of water and no water is coming out, the problem is, is you haven't primed the pump. You need to pour that in in order so you can get more water out. It's not just a trick or something else. It's just a recognition that when we recognize that God has everything and are called to take that step forward into generosity, that that's when God pours out His blessings, partially because we're showing ourselves to be trustworthy as stewards and managers of what He's given to us. But today, I want to shift gears a bit to talk about the worry that we hang on to. 
Because the reality is, is that you and I tend to worry way too much. And worrying is a way that we live closed-handed, not open-handed, isn't it? Worry is a way that we try to hang on to something that maybe we can't hang on to. And the more that we try to, the more that we worry, the more that we grow concerned. And so I don't want to just talk about what, what worry is or the fact that worry can wreck our lives, but I want to talk to us, what can God do if we learn to overcome worry? Because my suggestion today that I think is here in Scripture very clearly is that we can go from being worry wards to being some of the most generous people on the face of the earth if we trust in our Heavenly Father. God can take us that far, and I know so because He's shown me in my own life. I've shared with you before that when during summers and college and just after college, I used to travel overseas and play basketball with missions organizations. And just before my, uh, during my senior year of college, it was just before Christmas, it was December, I was sitting in my dorm room, and I had started to worry about the future. Have you been there before? Yeah, I was sitting there, what am I going to do when I get out of college? God, it's my senior year, I'm at a small Christian college, and I haven't met a wife yet. Is, is that sinful? Is that wrong? You know, things like that. You just don't know what's going on. And, and so as I'm sitting, I started praying, uh, and, and a few days later, my basketball rang, because I had a basketball phone, and I picked it up, and it was a gal who I had never met in person before named Kitty Millard from Katy, Texas. Kitty from Katy, a delightful woman. She was in her 60s at the time. Her husband worked for NASA. Uh, he was Houston. It's like, Houston, we have a problem. He was on the Houston team to help figure it out. Great family, very devoted to missions. She said, Dustin, do you want to go back overseas this summer? I said, Kitty, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I graduate. I'm going to have to get a job. You know, I, I, those are my number one concerns right now. And she said, well, here's the deal. I have $2,500 for you to go anywhere in the world you want to go. I don't care where it's at as long as it's doing something with missions. But I just need to know by the end of the day where to send it to. And, and so immediately I shifted into negotiator. And I said, Kitty, that's, that's a lot by the end of the day. Um, can I have 24 hours instead? I wasn't a very good negotiator. And she said, yeah, you can have 24 hours. So immediately I hung up the phone and I just prayed. And I said, okay, God, I think you're trying to teach me something here. <laughs> uh, would you just open up the door? So I called up my friend Robin, uh, who was in Colorado Springs. He helped me go on my first trip a couple of summers earlier before that. And I said, Robin, here's the deal. I've got three weddings I'm supposed to be in this summer. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but this lady just called um, and she offered to give me $2,500 to go anywhere. What can you do for me? And he said, well, I'm trying to fill out a team right now. Um, it, it's got two guys from Lincoln Christian University on it. You, you know where that's at, right? And I said, yeah, I'm thinking about going to seminary there. That's why I ended up going to seminary at. And I said, it would tell me more. He gave me the dates. And, and the, I said, well, that falls, I'm then three weddings, and that trip perfectly falls between all of the weddings. And I said, okay, how much is it? And he said, he said, well, it's $2,200 plus airfare to and from San Francisco, uh, which wound up being $257. Are you doing the math? Yeah, I had 43 bucks for airport food on the trip over and back. And I thought, okay, God, you've, you've got me, don't you? You're going to take care of me. 
And so, so that understanding of worry is something that helped me to understand God really does have us. And so when I read this passage from Matthew 6.25, I understand why Jesus doesn't want us to worry because he truly has us. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Now, he's not telling us not to be concerned about the lives of others, although we can have unhealthy concerns. He's not telling us not to help people who are in need. This is specifically, this passage is about our financial concerns, but I think that the anecdote he gives us here to worry is helpful for all of our worry and our anxiety. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. So what what is it that causes this selfish worry? When we're worried selfishly about our provision, specifically about money and about the stuff that we have or the stuff that we don't have, what causes it? Well, if we go back, because it starts off with therefore, whenever therefore is in the Bible, we always go back and look and see what it's there for. So we go back to verse 19, and Jesus gives us three indications here of things that cause selfish worry in our lives. First, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Funny story. Well, hey, let me finish the verse. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What causes selfish worry? First, storing our treasure in the wrong place. When we, cause, when we, when we store our treasure in places or in things where, where moths can eat it, where rust can get to it, that's a good sign there. It's not saying we're not supposed to have cars. It's not saying we're not supposed to have clothing. Thank you all for wearing clothing today. We appreciate that. But it's saying that we can actually put our treasure in that. My mom, when I was in high school, I had an old beater of a car that had more rust than moving parts on it, and she decided to go out to the school parking lot one day while I was in school, and she put a bumper sticker on there. It says, don't mind my car. I'm just storing up my treasures in heaven. If you are a mother, never do that to your son. That is the most embarrassing thing in the world. I got teased about that for years. Is that your heavenly car, Dustin? G.K. Chesterton has said there's two ways to have enough money. One is to acquire more. The other is to desire less. What causes selfish worry when we store our treasures in the wrong place? What's funny about those cars, that old car I had, it was a 4.3 liter diesel engine in that car. It wouldn't start unless it was at least 20 degrees outside or I had a plug-in on the block heater. But the cars that I envied back then, the Corvettes, you know the Corvettes from the 90s have the same amount of horsepower as a standard sedan has today? And I think about that, how those would like such the apple of the eye. How amazing it would be to have that Corvette or that Camaro, because I'm a little, red bird, a little redneck, maybe a little Trans Am Firebird, you know? At the end of the day, like, that might be great, but like, it's not going to make you happy. In fact, a lot of those things can make us worry even more if we store up our treasure in the wrong place. In fact, the end of that verse is the most convicting for me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. It's basically saying, like, invest where you want your treasure to be, and you'll find that your heart moves to that. 
you'll find that your heart will follow what you treasure. We don't think of it that way, do we? We think, oh, my heart's just not in it. Well, what are you going to do to get your heart in the right place? Is what Jesus is saying. Secondly, verse 22 and 23, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? So he's talking about the eye here and, and, and how, how things enter our body through our eyes. And so what we see, the second thing that causes selfish worry is focusing on the wrong things. When we're focused on the wrong things with our eyes, what happens is that turns us into worry wards. That, that, that makes us to obsess over things that aren't healthy to obsess about. What is it that you're focusing on in your life? Are you focused on the right things? Here's the way my brother, my brother's making more sermon quotes than he ever has before. Things must be good in his life right now. He was talking to me today, and he said, well, well if you're talking about worry, what is it that you daydream about during the day? When you have nothing else going on, it's not just about what you worry, but what is it that you're daydreaming about? What is it that you're fantasizing about? Are, are, you, are, you, are you fantasizing about you know, how you can have a bigger car, bigger house, more money in a bank account, more trips, things like that? Or, or are you saying, like, man, how can, how can my children or my grandchildren more closely follow Jesus Christ? How is it that I can make an impact in my neighbors, in my unreached neighbors? How is it that I can take my service to the church at the next level? Man, that's when we know that our eyes are focused. What is it that you daydream about? And finally, in verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus says here that when we have two masters, that causes selfish worry in our lives. And when we really look at that passage, we understand that maybe it's not that we have a worry problem, but that we have a worship problem. We're worshiping something that we aren't supposed to be worshiping, and that is causing and building up worry in our lives. Now, I do want to say here for just a moment as well that, that that when we say worry, like, I'm not just specifically talking about anxiety. Like, I have anxiety, okay? Like, my family, it's a natural trait. We pass it on very finely from one generation to the next. But it's talking about focus in the midst of all this. And so maybe some people are more prone to anxiety or less prone to anxiety, but that doesn't always mean that we're worrying in the biblical sense in, in, in the way that this handles. There's some overlap for sure, no question. And when we talk about this idea of worrying, what is it that is fixating your focus? What is it that you are fixated upon? I'm getting ready to shift gears here, but do you remember that story I told you a little earlier about the kitty from Katy, Texas, that $2,500 to go anywhere? Do you remember that story? So, so it all started with Kitty, but it didn't stop there. After that $2,500 was in the account for me to go overseas with sports ambassadors, God started to work on my heart. Over Christmas, I ran into my friend who was a senior at the University of Illinois. His name was Richard. He was a really good high school player, JUCO player, uh, and was an accounting student at the University of Illinois. And, and I had always wanted to take him on a trip with me. I had always wanted him to experience what I experienced. thought it would be a life-changing thing for him. But Richard was an accounting major. And, uh, do we have any accountants in the room? Okay, good. You, oh, we got one? Okay, yeah, well, you know, you know that accountants can be a little bit tight, right? And so that was always the objection. They save us from a world of trouble. Thank you for your work. 
But Richard was always like, I just don't know about the money. I just don't know about the money. And so God just laid on my heart. And he said, Dustin, I provided for you through somebody else. Maybe you're supposed to be a part of the provision for Richard. And so I called up Richard in January and I said, hey, here's the deal. A lady that I've never met in my life before from Katy, Texas, called me up and gave me $2,500 to go on this trip. It cost $2,500 to go on. But I want you to go with me. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you half of that money. I'm going to give you half of it, and then we'll raise the other $2,500 together. We know the same contacts. I'll teach you how to raise the money. Would that be enough to get you to go on this trip? And Richard said, okay, I'm in. (laughs) And so Richard and I got the opportunity. God was faithful to raise the money through both of us. It started with Kitty, and then it was passed on to me. That's what happens when we take that step of faith to overcome worry. And so here's the core, the the splitting text here when we see how is it that we overcome worry? Matthew 6, 25 and 26 says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Of course it is. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? And the answer, of course, is yes. God feeds the birds, and your Father loves you even more. He's not going to let you go hungry or naked. He will take care of you. And this word here, Father, is interesting because the problem I've always had with this text, I've always heard it almost in a scolding sense. Don't you dare worry. Which, of course, when you hear that, what does it do? It makes you worry even more, doesn't it? Don't worry. And then we sing a little Bobby McFerrin and we're all happy. But, you know, thanks for those of you who got that 90s reference. I appreciate that. But, but, you know, the, the reality is here is that, that this is not just a commandment that God gives to us. Do you realize that every command that God gives to us is also an invitation to walk with Him? And this idea of not worrying is not something that He is scolding you worth with, but it's an invitation to a deeper walk with the Father. That God the Father wants you to walk with Him and He will care for you. He will carry your burdens. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest for your souls. We overcome worry by focusing on the Father. And that might sound simple. And isn't that wonderful that it is? You don't have to figure out trigonometry to figure out how to work at overcoming worry. All you need to do is walk with your Father. He is faithful. He is not shaming you for your worry, but is inviting you to walk with Him. And He will walk with you and will not be ashamed of you. And so we overcome worry by focusing on our Father. And the first thing we saw there is our Father's faithfulness. That God the Father is faithful to care for the birds And you are called His children. He is going to be faithful to take care of you. It won't always be in the way that you want. God does not set up for you like a trust fund. We are not trust fund children of the Father. (laughs) But He is a daily provider for us. Your Father is faithful. 
Next we see in 27 and following, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Don't you love these questions of Jesus? No, we know that stress actually takes years off your life. And why do you worry about clothes? Consider the, the, the wildflowers of the field and how they grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? So we overcome by worry by focusing on the Father, and, and here we, we look at how our Father treasures us. He clothes the fields with beauty. And he, he has clothed you with something even more beautiful than, than, than the flowers of the field. He has given you His very image to carry forward as His image bearers. You have the image of God about you and you are more beautiful than the, than the prettiest bird, the prettiest wildflower. You are a beautiful part of God's creation. He has shown His care for you in that way and will continue to show His care for that. I love these two things because God isn't only the God of the basic, He's also the God of beauty. And when we look at the beauty in this created world and, and how it can help bring the healing that we need when we understand, yeah, He even clothed the flowers and even Solomon wasn't dressed like that, but you all are image bearers. How beautiful is that? Our Father treasures us. And he concludes the passage in verse 31 and following by saying, So, don't worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, or those who aren't following God, is what that means in this passage, eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I wonder if we pray for our needs. God, I just really need this. I wonder if we would just stop and pause after each one. And if we could just hear God saying, yeah, I know. I've got you. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. The final way that we see how we can overcome worry is by focusing in on our Father's kingdom. When we seek first the kingdom of God, when we say, God, I want to see the hungry fed. I want to see the kingdom move forward. I want to see my neighbors come to know Christ. I want to see every kid in my neighborhood have a healthy father figure in their life. When we start seeking the father's kingdom, I can tell you that the worry can diminish greatly because our concern is about our father's business. We're walking with our Father, and we know that He is a good provider. Hey, do you remember that story that I started the message with? About the $2,500, Kitty from Katy, Texas. And then, how, do, you remember, and then do you remember uh, what happened next? How like, God called me to give away half of that? Uh, well, it started with Kitty, and it, and it continued on through me. Um, but it actually didn't stop there. That summer, Richard and I... Um, went to Malaysia along with about eight other guys that were part of our team with sports ambassadors. And while we were there, I was supposed to meet the rest of my teammates at McDonald's in Kuala Lumpur. And I went to the wrong McDonald's, which, you know, happens all the time in Kuala Lumpur. We didn't have Google Maps or any of that. It was, hey, he's down around the corner there. 
And while I was um, going to the wrong McDonald's, I ran upon a homeless guy, a homeless guy in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, who spoke perfect English and who clearly was not any, on any kind of drugs or alcohol. And I thought to myself, you're a homeless guy who speaks perfect English. What is going on in your life? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm educated. Um, I grew up, my mom worked for the government. We had a good life, but I accepted Jesus. And when I started following Jesus, that I was no longer considered a melee. And because I was no longer considered a melee, I could no longer find employment. I learned that this guy's English name that he went by for English was Gerald. And so over the next couple of weeks, Gerald and I developed a good friendship. Through that time, Gerald never asked for one single thing from me. I just walked with him. I introduced him to the team. We prayed for him. And he started talking about how he wanted to go to Singapore to seek religious freedom there. It was just down on the bottom of the peninsula. And so we had prayed with him about that. And he was preparing to hitchhike at some point to Singapore. But on the next to last night before we left Malaysia, Gerald came to me. I was with my team outside the hotel. And while we were there, he came up and struck up a conversation with me, as he always did. We welcomed him. We talked. And I could tell he was stressed. And I said, Gerald, what's going on? He said, here's the deal. I haven't asked for anything from you, right? And I said, you're right. You haven't. And he said, I, I'm going to hitchhike to Singapore tomorrow and start a new life there, but I need one thing. And he held up his foot like this, and he said, you see my sandals? I said, yeah. He said, I can't get a job in Singapore unless I have closed-toed shoes. Would you be willing to go down to the marketplace where we walk through every day? Would you be willing to go down there with me and buy me a new pair of shoes? And, and as I was talking with him, which a new pair of shoes would have been maybe five or ten bucks, you know, of course we're going to do that for him, right? My team was, I, I was here, Gerald was here, my team was behind me, and I looked at my team who had been listening in on the conversation, and I looked there at Richard. You remember Richard, right? I looked at Richard, and immediately he had this look on his eyes, and he just turned around very quietly and rushed up to his hotel room. And as the others looked at each other, they realized what Richard was doing. And one by one, they went silently up to their hotel room. And I did what I do best, extend conversations longer than I'm supposed to, and just kept on talking to Gerald. And one by one, they started coming back down from the hotel. And they started assembling behind Gerald. Richard had his pair of Nike Air Maxes that he was going to give away to be Gerald's shoes. Some of the guards who are a little smaller statured, more Gerald's size, they had, um, one of them had a polo shirt so that Gerald could have a nice look when he went to interview for a job. Another had on a pair of khaki pants that he gave so that Gerald could have it. Another got all the toiletry supplies that we didn't need anymore and gave these bars of soap, toothbrush, toothpaste to Gerald, deodorant, so that he could be, have the best appearance when he went for a job interview. Another gave several pairs of socks, because if you're wearing Richard's shoes, you're probably going to need a couple extra pairs of socks to make them fit. Another started stashing money, and we all chipped in money and stashed it in different places in the bag. One of them, one of our teammates gave 
the, his carry-on bag that he was supposed to fly back with, so he had to go buy another carry-on bag because he gave it away to Cheryl. And they assembled this all in a bag. And finally, as I was talking to Gerald, I said, hey, why don't you turn around, Gerald? And there, with Richard and the rest of the team, they were holding this bag for Gerald, and they gave it to him. And we prayed for him that he would have success in Singapore. And as, as he stood there crying in joy, Gerald looked at us and he said, I know it's July, but this is the only time I've ever actually celebrated Christmas. It started with Kitty. I got to pass it on. Richard passed it on. All my teammates passed it on, and we gave it to Gerald. I wish I knew what happened with Gerald, but I don't. We didn't have Facebook back then. We didn't have any way to stay in contact. My guess is he passed it on, but I don't know. And so today I give it to you to pass on. We have a generous God. And we can go from hanging on and worrying to being radically generous. But you know, now that I think of it, I realize that it really didn't start with Kitty Millard, did it? She was an important piece of the puzzle. But that radical generosity really started with our Heavenly Father who gives us everything we need. In fact, in fact, Paul even says it this way in questions that Jesus would have asked. Paul asks these questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Church, God the Father has been open-handed with His blessings for you because you are His children. Now, as His children, may we go and be open-handed with our blessings to others. And may that story just keep coming on and on and on. Father, we, we know that You are good. Lord, as, as, as that man who had the leopard son in, in Mark 9 said, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. In this world of plenty, God, we confess that we have held on. And we break us free from our bondage to our stuff. And help us to be open-handed for you, God. May we live our lives open-handedly and may people see the love of God. God, I, 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 I would love to think that Gerald is still, is still alive and doing well in Singapore. I have no idea, but God, thank you for what he taught me. And thank you that we were able to put, be a part of that. And I pray that you would just increase the Geralds in our lives. Increase the opportunities we have to bless. Because we know that we can never out-bless you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.